Please have a seat. Morning, Christ Church. I want to begin in a word of prayer over all of us here. Let's pray together. Kind Father, I get the sense that uh, in a room this size, there's just a sense of hurry and rush and perhaps even anxiety. Maybe for many this morning has felt long and already unendurable and There's been a long week behind and perhaps a long week ahead, and this morning just feels hectic is the word I I think. So Father, kindly, I ask you would send your peace, that you would send the Holy Spirit upon us, all of us in this room, and each of us individually, and especially those who feel the sense of hurry right now, that you would bring peace to their hearts, that all of us would hear a word from you this morning, believing you are the one who speaks. We pray in Christ's name. Amen. Amen. Well, good morning and happy Father's Day to all the fathers. Uh, I want to extend just an excitement uh, for all of the fathers and also for father figures, for those of you who uh, serve as sometimes coaches or mentors or godfathers. Um, there's just this, there's this role of this fatherhood presence. Uh, and if you look at the research, and I'm sure many of you are aware of this, uh, it's something that when you have a stable father figure, whether it's a biological father or a coach or a mentor or a godparent, when you have a stable father figure in the life of young children, it just makes a difference. It makes a difference in the way that child grows up. It makes a difference uh, to see someone who's able to use a strength and a power humbly in service and sacrifice. It makes a difference to see a father that is um, able to be emotionally present to be vulnerable, to be connected to little ones. And this vocation of fatherhood doesn't happen just for fathers towards little children. It, it never stops. That as men grow older, um, it just transitions and you become fathers to adult children. You become older leaders and mentors to, uh, to, to people in their 20s and their 30s and 40s. This doesn't stop, this vocation of fatherhood. And we speak a lot about vocation around here. And to you fathers, And to you men who are being called to be father figures, I just want to say a word of gratitude. Your service, your sacrifice matters, and it matters how you carry yourself to have a strength that is submitted humbly in service and sacrifice for others. And so we'll have a word to say about that in announcements a little bit more there. But I wanted to start just acknowledging today is Father's Day, and um, and we say thank you uh, to the ways that you fathers and father figures serve. Today's Father's Day. Tomorrow is Juneteenth, and I want to talk about Juneteenth for a moment also. Tomorrow will be the 158th anniversary of word reaching all the way down to the far reaches of America at the time, Galveston, Texas, about the Emancipation Proclamation, that there is no more slavery in the United States, and all African Americans are free and equal. And it's an important declaration um, that we recognize, and as Christians, we get the joy of celebrating and honoring, and especially um, this is a moment where we acknowledge God is in the business of setting the captives free. That's how Jesus first even declares uh, his message in Nazareth in Luke 4, is that I have come to set the captives free. And so especially as Christians, this is a moment that we honor um, that this important moment happened in our history and began a process of healing against a horrendous evil of enslavement that had taken place for hundreds of years. 
And as you're looking for resources to honor Juneteenth, uh, there's a few that I want to point you towards um, that I found helpful myself. So we'll have them up here on the screen. The first is Coracle. Coracle is uh, it's an Anglican organization founded by Anglican leaders, and it deals with kind of like um, spiritual formation and, um, and thoughtful leadership and contemplative activism. Um, they have, if you go to that website, in thecoracle.org, they have some great resources for honoring Juneteenth, especially for white Christians to honor Juneteenth and what that might mean. And, um, there's an article there with about 28 different recommendations, including ways you can go for education, um, ways to support black-led businesses and industry, just really fantastic. So I want to commend that website to you. Second is Repentance Project. This is an interdenominational group, a lot of Anglican leadership in there, but also others as well. And um, its goal is to facilitate racial healing, to, to occupy this space of racial healing through formation opportunities, through repentance itself, through spiritual exercises. Um, really fantastic. You can do the same thing. Go there, search Juneteenth, but also um, you might just sign up for their newsletter. And then thirdly, I want to recommend this podcast I listened to this week, Justin Gibney on Juneteenth, Pluralism and the Gospel on the Russell Moore Show. And Russell Moore uh, is the editor of Christianity Today. You might know him. You might also know Justin Gibney. Russell interviews Justin, and it is a fantastic conversation that the two of them share about Juneteenth and how, um, as Christians, white church, black church, all Christians in North America might honor, remember this day, and pay attention, giving thoughtful reflection on uh, Juneteenth. Justin, as you might know, is the founder of, he's one of the co-founders of the AND campaign, It's like either or, both and, the and campaign. And if you have not seen the and campaign, I want to encourage you, go check them out. Um, He wrote an amazing book a few years ago. It came out, I think, in 2020 called Compassion and Conviction. And it's a book about, um, and this gets to the and campaign a lot, he wants to hold together things that the Bible holds together, but that our culture tries to separate. So he wants to say things like, we think politically we should be concerned with both compassion and conviction. We put these together. Uh, We think that as Christians, we are concerned about personal holiness and also social holiness, a love of neighbor for all of our neighbors, that you hold these together. He's articulate and a um, political analyst. So um, if you're not familiar with him, you might check him out as well. On the show, as Russell's interviewing him, he acknowledged also related to Juneteenth that Honoring Juneteenth, is a, it's hard and difficult because it's complex. It's complex to say, how do we honor Juneteenth? And what he said by this, he said, on the one hand, we honor the fact everyone should be declared free, that enslavement is always wrong in every fashion. And on the other hand, he says, we have to be honest, intellectually honest about our history, that there have been ongoing effects in the United States from slavery and from other eras, Jim Crow era and others, from other decision, decisions, including discrimination in housing, banking, education, hiring practices, judicial sentences, that has meant there hasn't been true and fair justice for black Americans. He says, on the one hand, we have enshrined freedom in our civic values. We hold these truths to be self-evident that all men are created equal. And then he says, on the other hand, well, if that's the case, why did it take so long for black Americans to be created equal? Why was the civil rights movement needed? Why is ongoing work needed? And Justin's acknowledgement of the complexity of honoring Juneteenth gets us to what we're going to be discussing today, which is the longing for justice. 
We've been in a series recently called Simply Christian, and Simply Christian follows this book N.T. Wright has written, and the starting point for it is in a post-Christian world, rather than starting with Scripture and saying, how do we make sense of God? We start with universal longings that all humans across all cultures at all times share. So some of the longings we've looked at are these longings for relationship. Last week, we looked at a longing for spirituality. Next week, we're going to talk about these longings for beauty. And today we're going to talk about this longing for justice. How do we make sense of this longing for justice? Because we all desire justice, but as we get into the nitty-gritty of justice, we often notice it's way more complex, and it's fraught with complexity than what we thought. We, we thought that it would be easy, but we can never quite get our fingers around full justice for everyone, that we've got these problems. And even when we try and work for goodness, Um, it still seems like we can't help but hurting one another. And that hurt happens on a macro level, like at the highest level that happens. And then it also happens on a micro level in kind of interpersonal ways. So um, in preparing for this sermon, I just gave myself the exercise to see if I could think about the 20th century and at the highest macro level injustices that I could just quickly remember. And so here's the list I came up with, and perhaps there are even more that you would remember. Um, We have talked about American slavery and how that led into the 20th century. We would also talk about South Africa with apartheid. We talk about tense relationships uh, and movements between the Japanese and the Chinese. We talk about the Rwandan genocide between the Hutus towards the Tutsis. We could talk at the beginning of the 20th century about the Turks and the Greeks. And of course, uh, we would remember Germans and European Jews all in the 20th century. These large-scale injustices. Why is it that after thousands of years of advanced civilizations, we can't stop hurting one another. Justice slips through our fingers. We're not able to live the lives that we desire, to have the civilizations that we desire. And it's not just large-scale injustices. Every day, these micro-injustices, interpersonal fairness, lack of fairness type thing. And if you don't believe me on that, show up to an elementary school And you do not have to be long into an elementary school classroom before you hear someone say, that's not fair. (laughs) They just stole my pen. They took my paper. That girl's eating my my food. Something's not fair. Teacher, like something's wrong. Like when I would pick up my my elementary son this year, the first thing, and I'm being, uh, I'm not exaggerating here, almost the first thing out of his mouth would be to tell me, Dad, on the playground today, you're not going to believe what happened. And the ball went out, and it wasn't my fault. And they said it was my fault, and it's not fair. It's the first thing, right? These like little injustices that you hear in a classroom, this innate sense from a very young age of right and wrong. The same thing, of course, happens as you get older, only there's no more teachers. We go to civil courts, and we appeal to a judge, and we say, something's happened between us, and we need someone to say, who's fair Who's not fair? How do you make it right in this situation? And the problem with justice is that it doesn't always work out the way we want, right? Sometimes innocent people get convicted, and sometimes guilty people get off, and sometimes bullies find a way to work around the system or to bribe the system or to cheat the system and get away with it, and sometimes those who have been hurt, the victims, don't get fair compensation, Or if they do get fair compensation, it's definitely not adequate to the injury that happened. 
We all share a deep sense and a longing for justice, for right and wrong, for a desire for things to be put back to the way they're supposed to be. And yet, despite all the theories, despite all the human searching, despite all the philosophies, we cannot seem to make any progress in this regard. So how do we make sense of this? Like one way we could make sense of this is we could say there is just this aspiration for justice out there and we just know we're not gonna get it. So we can keep on holding this aspirationally, but we're just not gonna get there. And so maybe what we do is try to amass power as quickly as we can to protect ourselves or protect our tribe. That's one way you can do that. But from the Christian perspective, the Christian story wants to say, actually what has happened is that a very good God has made a very good world and very early on, humans have gone off the rails and in doing that, they've like broken a wrench into the system, creating injustices everywhere. And just when you're trying to put out a fire on one side, other injustices crop up. It's like that game whack-a-mole, right? You're paying attention to like over here, we're dealing with this injustice and over there, hundreds more are coming up. The whole system is somehow gone off the rails early on. And God is, in the Christian story, constantly doing things to assure people, I'm working to make the world right. You can't see it now, but I'm working often behind the scenes, sometimes through the people of Israel. I'm working, I'm promising, I am in the business, I am going to put the world back together. If you were paying attention to our Isaiah reading just a moment ago, God cares a whole lot about justice and fair dealings between people, and he's promising, I will put the world back together. And one of the ways he begins to teach us about his desire for justice, which far exceeds any of our own desires for justice, one of the ways he starts to tell us about that is he sends prophets, and he also sends poets. You know, sometimes the artists and the the poets are the most prophetic among us. So he sends poets as well to describe how he's going to put the world together. And one of the poets penned a psalm, Psalm 72. It's a it's an ancient poet, uh, an ancient poem. It's kind of a song to God, and it describes, imagine if there were a king who is perfect. Imagine if there truly was a just king who could bring justice for all people, who could deal with all the injustices fairly. What might that look like? So if you turn to Psalm 72, or if you pull out your scripture handout, I just want to walk very quickly through a couple of points where this poet says, Here is what a just king, here's how this God might begin to remake the world through a just leader. Verse one, I'm just gonna kind of riff through verses one through four. The poem starts, endow the king with your justice. May the king judge your people in righteousness. May the king uh, judge your afflicted ones with justice. May the king defend the afflicted among the people. May the king save the children of the needy. May the king crush the oppressor. We get this sense that the poet's saying that what's wrong with the world can only be fixed when there's a good leader who can actually perfectly attend to these injustices and bring about some balance of the scales. And it's interesting this word used right here for uh, the afflicted that that, uh, the poet uses so much. I put this word on the screen. The word is ani, and it really designates a whole class of people, saying like the king will take care of classes of people that have been oppressed. And in our modern terminology, you might think of something like um, children, uh, if, if you've had an adverse childhood experience, some, it's called an ACE, someone with a high ACE score, things like maybe childhood abuse or being exploited or taken advantage of, they have a lot of these. Uh, you might see this class of person of like a very vulnerable child. 
And what this, what this poem is saying is that the king would rightfully deal with the oppressors of that class of people, would fix things for that class of people. The, the poem goes on down in verse 12. It says, this king, when he were to come, he would deliver the needy when they call. He would deliver the poor and him who has no one to help them. This king would have pity on the weak and the needy. This king would save the lives of the needy. From oppression and violence, the king redeems their life. And get this line, precious is their blood in his sight. Like to this king, anyone who hurts, anyone who's needy and oppressed, precious is every scar that they have, pays attention to them. And this word for needy here, it's the second word, ebion. And this one, if this first word, ani, designates a class of people, this second word is very particular. It's very individual. It says anyone who is in acute need or acute want, this king would personally attend to. This king would deal with all the big systemic problems going on for classes of people, and this king would personally step down and deal with every injustice that is leading to want or to need for any one person. You start to think about this in the Christian story, and God does something more than just promise to fix the world. He actually enters the world. And in Jesus Christ, he says, I have stepped down and I have become one of these people to become a king like this who would care for all the oppressed and all the needy. Now, Jesus walks around and you know the name Jesus Christ. And I've said this before, and of course you might know this. Christ isn't his last name. It's not, it's not like Jesus, last, first name Jesus, last name Christ on his driver's license. Christ is a particular title that means king. It means the anointed one. It's a translation of the Hebrew word Messiah, which means the one who's been anointed to be the king. So Jesus, the king, is coming to fulfill this, to step into the world and deal with all the injustices. And when he was walking around, you could imagine some of his followers were wondering, is that really like, you're the carpenter. Is that really that you're gonna be the one who's the king who's gonna deal with everything? In fact, his own cousin, John the Baptist, can't believe him. He says, is that really who you are? That you're this coming king, this Psalm 72 king who's supposed to deal with all the oppression at every single level. So John sends some of his followers to say, ask Jesus who he really is. See if he'll tell you that he really is this king. And look how, how Jesus responds in Matthew 11. Jesus says, if you want to know who I am, then go back and tell John what you hear and what you see, that in me, the blind receive sight, the lame walk, those who have leprosy are cleansed, the deaf hear, the dead are raised, and the good news is proclaimed to the poor. Jesus is in effect saying, I am that good king, the one you have been waiting for to come into the world, the one to deal with all the different oppressions we don't know why people are lame. Are they born that way? Did something happen to them? Did someone hurt them? But Jesus says, not only do I speak good news to them, but I heal them. I restore them so that they walk. I don't just say the good news. I embody it to them. I'm the one who's dealing personally with every type of injury, every injustice. And doesn't that sound a lot like Psalm 72? Only better. The king not just another human king, but God himself stepping into the world, healing the oppressed. How does Christianity make sense of justice? It says all of your longings for justice in the world are true and right and good. Only you and me on our own and in our own civilizations will never get what we desire, which is justice. 
But God is coming into the world to bring about a new order, a new creation, a new just society, to remake the world, to go back to the starting place and say, here's where things went wrong when the first humans disobeyed, and I'm going back to make a new humanity that begins to obey and begins to bring healing to the world, to every class, every big class of people who have been oppressed, and to everyone individually who is suffering any form of need. It's kind of the Christian story, how the Christian story makes sense of justice. The way Jesus accomplishes this on the cross, we'll save and talk about that another time, but it is the most upside down way that you ever would think about God bringing justice about by taking all the injustices on himself. But now as followers of Jesus, he calls us to participate in this longing for justice as the followers of Jesus to speak and embody the good news to the poor, to every poor, all classes of poverty, but also to enact good works towards the poor. And I wanna tell you a little bit more about how that happens because here in the Anglican Church of North America in our denomination, um, we have a wonderful organization called the Matthew 25 Initiative. And it was actually birthed in many ways out of this parish. And I wanna invite Christine Warner up right now. Christine is the executive director of the Matthew 25 Initiative. And she's gonna tell us a little bit about how do we get in on following this God who longs to bring justice to the world and who has begun to bring justice to the world through Jesus. How do we as followers of this King begin to go and do likewise? So if you would join me in welcoming Christine up. First, I was asked to check sound. Is this good? Is it way better than this morning? Um, If you guys, you can't look at it now. Bossing you, rules, don't look at it now. But perchance, do you have something that looks like this anywhere near you that you can grab, yeah? All right, if you don't, anyone don't that would want one? All right. Gotcha, gotcha. I hurt Bailey. Um, I love this book that Christ is just going through, Simply Christian. I love it because for me, surely it's not, it wouldn't be like a surprise, but like I have to have rounds of why am I a Christian? And that this book is one of the, one of the answers for me. So I'm Christine Warner, the executive director of the Matthew 25 Initiative. And my goal in this time is for you to know your own story, because this is actually your story as a parish. You are offering leadership to North American Anglicanism. And you may not know it, and that's just silly for you not to know. Um, Plus, you kind of need to know, like, what it is. So the goal is first draft of an elevator talk pitch. I I don't even know that idiom. Um, Basically, short and sweet, and you know what you're talking about. And then I'm going to tell you, like, stuff that this whole thing does and blesses and affects and makes a difference. And my greatest sorrow is that I don't have three hours just for straight-up storytelling because this all comes down to stories. It's, it's people. It's names. It's time and place and a face 
and features. And it's, it's God like cupping every face and saying, you matter and you have place in this world. And wherever that is not happening, it's wrong, it's messed up. And he calls us on mission to make that right. So first, I want to anchor us back into the Isaiah passage. If you read Isaiah 1, 10 through 16, and by the way, in case you didn't know, most of Scripture was meant to be read outside and out loud. So every chance you get to bend that way, go for it, because it changes how you see it and how you read it. It legit does. Um, but 10 through 16, if you read it out loud, by 13, you're like, all right already, God, I got your message. It's so intense. And he's saying, morality, your morality and your self-righteousness and your practices that you treat as precious, I don't care about them if you're not doing this. And... Right before this, he says, if you're not doing this, so the whole first part is what you're not doing and what he's, God's really frustrated about. And, he, and his like mic drop moment before he pivots is, and if you pray, I am going to close my ears. Isaiah 58 is like the opposite gorgeous. Do you want to hear him say yes to, the, to you? I am here. You're going to be like streams of water and gardens and all that. So the pairing of ice, so a homework assignment, aside from your book, Isaiah 1, Isaiah 58, and l- listen to them together. But pay attention to this. Like even in contrast to the Good Samaritan, which is like along the way while you're doing this, notice, right? Now he rearranges his life, Completely incredible story. But there is zip passivity here. And not even like when it comes to analysis of vocabulary words, these, like, there are other vocabulary words that would kind of approximate, but pay attention to this. Learn to do right. Huh? It's a learning process. Therefore, become a student. Right? whether it's on Juneteenth um, or all kinds of things that are not right with the world. Learn. Don't, don't just wait for someone else to drop it. Action, right? Seek justice, not scope out the landscape and see what you see. Seek, 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 seek. Defend the oppressed. Well, that means you're close enough that you know what the wrong is, and then you're standing in the gap, and you're defending. And that, that, that makes you the one with agency acting. I like this one. Take up the cause. Again, it's not like, oh, I'll just kind of hang out nearby. It is, I'm going to make it my own. I'm going to take up the cause of the fatherless. There's other scripture about the widows and children without mothers, and it's just like, 
I mean, catch the children. Catch the children and so many ills will be avoided. Plead the case of the widow. In our society, the most common expression of widows, we have widows, are single moms. That's kind of modern equivalent of widows, biblically. And here it says plead. It doesn't say ask or throw a, you know, a little message. It's, just, it's like you kind of imagine like you, this person's grabbing the other by the scruff of the neck and saying, I'm fighting for this. So my first purpose this morning is I want you to know how amazing you are as a church. The ACNA, Anglican Church of North America, consists of about a thousand churches. Canada, US, Mexico. And some of the churches are small, some are large, some of the churches you'll go to and they're so low church, you would barely even know they're Anglican at all. Like I feel like kind of non-denominational version. And then other churches, Anglo-Catholic churches, um, there's, like, I've experienced it. Their services, they'll genuflect. Just the lector, whoever's reading scripture, will genuflect three times before they come to the front. And if you don't know what that word is, have fun, look it up. Super. It's, it's fun. Um, but there, like, there's all kinds of Anglicans. There's so many expressions. Most, most Anglican churches are pretty similar to Christ Church as far as, like, middle church um, version. But... Several years ago, the archbishop and leadership of the province decided to launch Matthew 25. So this was 2015. Matthew 25 is a branch that highlights God's heart for the marginalized, the vulnerable, the under-resourced, and the underserved. So now I'm going to give you a shot at, like, practicing terminology that matters. All right? So turn to the person next to you and try the vulnerable, the marginalized, the under-resourced, underserved. Go. All right. One of the reasons sometimes, what? <laughs> yeah, you guys are unruly hush. You you went too long. Um, One of the reasons that terminology matters and at times shifts is we're always seeking to protect the dignity of each person, right? And so we're careful about identity language. A person who is better, right? A treasure, if you know the Guatemala language, the we don't say scavengers, we say the treasures, right? The apple of God's eye, the, the face that's cupped and beloved. So Matthew 25, next slide. Here's a mission and vision statement. To equip and sustain Anglicans serving alongside the vulnerable, not charity, not, not, not I mean, really, the kingdom way. 
incarnation Jesus alongside to see an Anglican expression of justice and mercy in every parish. Now, sometimes for these 1,000 churches, that means zero to something. And we're launching new ministries and helping with creativity and read, exegete, know your context, listen, watch, be humble so that you know what the, what the treasures of your place are, what the gaps might be. But for some churches, it might be leveling up. So this will come up later, but for example, um, most food pantries um, are a place of shame for those who are seeking food, those who are hungry. There are ways to set up a food pantry that honors dignity and that empowers and speaks heads towards that you are precious, you are imprinted with God, God's design, and you have purpose, right? So, awesome. Food pantries, feed the hungry. Yep. Now, where Matthew 25 comes along is, hey, let's workshop this a little bit. But let's tweak this. We can shift this. We can do it this way. So really a lot of what we're doing as Anglicans is developing the and, that we are a people in the next slide of word and deed, of good works and good news, of loving God and our neighbor, of Matthew 28 and Matthew 25. And to be clear, like, God doesn't say, um, you will build it and they will come. He says, Jesus says, go, 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 go. So back to that Isaiah 1, right? We are charged with movement on the streets, people on the streets. Herb taught me the phrase, getting dirt under our nails. And stuff happens. Magic happens. So I'm going to do a quick piece of the history, super quick, but it's because this is your story and you might not know it. So here, it's, I'm not expecting you to like suss that whole thing out. I don't think it's even on the handout, but um, this gives you a bit of a snapshot. It began with a grant. It began with someone being generous financially. And then fast forward to now. So I was asked to found this ministry. I don't know how many people know. Um, Cliff and I lived on the border with Mexico, lived incarnationally among the urban poor, and founded a nonprofit um, that is really like it was kind of core community development work. And it's still thriving, and we still get to be a part of it from afar. Um, so when the archbishop was like, all right, we're going to launch something, la llamada llegó para los que hablan español. That's when the, the call came. And the goal was to m- build towards a mature and generative entity. And that formation took place here at Christchurch. And it began 
with prayer ministry. We're like, prayer is going to be non-negotiable. So before we even knew what it was, we built a prayer team. And the Barnes were a part of that team. We trained people in soaking prayer, listening prayer, healing prayer. And now to this day, how many years later, that is still a very live and vibrant, albeit um, confidential part of our work. But the prayer team that is still, so we have people involved in this work all over North America that might not have a church like you guys, or where it might be hard to be super frank about what's happening in their context. And they send with insane vulnerability. And we have a team of about 18 um, that are still right there, caring, listening for scripture, listening for an image, and we send it back. This super quiet part of what we do, but for me, it's, it's the foundation and it's the boiler room of it all. And be proud. Be proud that this healthy community is anchoring it. We have so many. There are three nonprofits that are trying to model their prayer ministry around it in, as a model. And then the first gathering was here. There were 60 people, and the goal was the required, the, the ticket in was that you had scars, that you had been doing this work long enough, that you'd been beat up in the process, and that you had experience. And it was gorgeous. It was stunning. It was so much fun. And the thing that's like killing me this whole time that I can't go into is I have so many stories to tell you. You were ridiculous hosts and supporters. And you continue to. I mean, way to go, Christchurch, because now twice Christchurch has sponsored and run the happy hours. You know, priorities, priorities. Uh And we have dance party leaders because if we're going to put our feet in the muck of suffering, then joy and hope are prophetic work. We're saying the darkness will not have the last word, right? You guys, so I could like brag about, and then so many of you here, hospice um, care. So many of you are practitioners who do this kind of work, whether it's anti-slavery or um, the refugees or those experiencing homelessness. Like there's, you guys are doing this work and you have a reputation in the rest of our Anglican family. When they go, when other churches are receiving help and support, they hear the story. Well done, you. And I want a special shout out to the mission team. In a moment of real critical scaling of an org into maturity and thinking through systems and um, strategy and design, Christchurch mission team, through because of your generosity, helped support us in that. So I see you, mission team people. Thank you. Okay, so what do we do? Do you remember your words of the population? We serve, which 
is all of us ultimately. It all gets very um, upside down kingdomish real quick. So let me go quickly through the next slides. Um, let's go next. So these are the areas of ministry. Now there are lots of subcategories to these. Read this. Look, look at each one of them. And then in your imagination, like just design a film short in your head real quick and put faces and names and stories. Populate it with hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of people. This is happening. This is what's afoot. Followers of Christ are doing this all over the world, and they've always done it. But just to say, our Anglican family is right there in the mix. All right, so now you're going to get your next turn to your neighbor assignment. The four C's. Okay, don't look at it. Don't look. Don't look. Look at me. And then you can test yourself. Look, look, look at me. Don't look at the screen. Champion, care, catalyze, (laughs) I blinked, connect. Connect, catalyze, care, champion. Okay, turn it, don't look, don't cheat. Turn to the person next to you and see if you can do it. done. Test yourself. How'd you do? Did you get an A plus? Okay, hush. Done. Well done, you guys. Okay, so now you've got like the mix. So now if you want like the bonus, you know, extra points, then you can throw in words like the who, right? That it's practitioners and it's clergy. And practitioners we define as like anyone doing this work, part-time, full-time, paid, not paid, anyone that is placing themselves in these contexts of suffering. Um, We have learners. We have teachers. Do you guys know that so many senior-level leaders at giant nonprofits like IJM and World Relief and the Bob Lupton Center, which Heartburst, Chalmers, and there's like on and on it goes. Um, Equal Justice USA on criminal, criminal justice issues. Le- senior leaders are Anglicans, and they're saying, hey, I actually care about this being on my watch, and this is my church, and they're lending their expertise. Super, super fun. So it's, it, we got like a mix of all kind of people, because <laughs> like we aspire to all the gospel and all the church, and all, so it's a lot of alls. Um, And it's pretty fun. Okay, so the first thing, we champion. We speak on behalf of those who cannot speak for themselves. So that's like definitional, the unseen offering visibility. And to what Father Matt spoke to earlier, Scripture's very clear, and Scripture's ridiculously uncomfortable about it. Like if you read, if you really read, if you really read Matthew 25 out loud, Ouch, man. And if you read Amos, I mean, it's, it's unequivocal, right? And the, the God, 
God cares more about mending this world than we ever will. And his passion um, and his heart and his emotional range is full in this. Um, The Lenten Advent campaign, some of you guys saw that and followed it. We're creating a downloadable. It's quite a feast of stuff. Um, Speaking, Oh, I'll just say quickly about the Bible study. Wait, there were eight sessions. It was live. There were hundreds of people registered and a steady core that remained. But did you like to, to hear that story through a lens? Like what Father Matt spoke to right from the beginning in Genesis, but then we got the Noah business and, you know, a restart. And then, like, God's people are all to the point of full-on oppression and slavery in Egypt. And then what happens is they cried out. Do a word study on cry out, the scripture. And then he takes them out. They go to the wilderness. Like talk about let's erase the blackboard because all the structures of society and civilization had had really messed it up at that point in the Near East, ancient Near East. I'm like going to get nervous about my terms. And then they're coming out. The chalkboard, the slate gets erased. They're coming out. And he goes, all right, you ready for a blueprint? And these laws and this way of flourishing. And he says over and over and over again, for a flourishing society, all have to flourish. And don't you dare forget those who are on the margins because that's who you were. That's your identity. That's your name. You were the migrant. I mean, so that Bible study, we're going to release it. Catalyzes. No, yes, champions, catalyzes is the next slide. This is where just feel my pain. I am opting out on telling you about 20 gorgeous stories of transformation and change. But this is where the grant matters. The grant puts our money where our mouth is, and it launches, it makes dreams happen, right? Those that are seeing need and, like, hands tied because they can't make it work. But then on top of that, we come alongside and offer coaching and mentoring. So some of those leaders that I talked about, that's, that's, we pull them all in. And it's such a fun feast. It's not a top-down thing. It's, all, it's like a whole clearinghouse and networking and helping and, oh, you're doing this and you want to do this. Let's connect you and let's do it well with best practices and let's make it not like flash in the pan. But then, you know what? If first try doesn't work, we're right here because then we can pivot and come up with a better. So that, the catalyzing, oh, that's candy stuff. It's super, super fun. Cares and support. So for those that are right there, Day after day, in the context of suffering, it wears on the soul, right? It's definitely not heaven yet. And so the gathering does that. Soul care retreat, prayer team, legit, it's just all about Christ church on that count. And then the last thing, oh, do I have it? Did I do it? Connects. We do a lot of connecting. We do a lot of supporting and swapping ideas. Um, 
So I'll give you one story, and then I'm, I'm, I'm wrapping up. So if we go to the slide with all of them together. The white papers are fun. <laughs> Telling you a story. So the best way to illustrate kind of the way a lot of these come together is to tell you about risen Savior Anglican and Father Rick Leon. So it's a tiny church from Huntington, Indiana. Do you really, like I'm telling you this story because this is your story. So this is not like you're like watching a video from far away. You helped make this thing happen that I'm about to tell you, right? So Father Rick Leon gets a stirring to be more engaged in his community. He's invited to the Matthew 25 gathering. He doesn't really know what it is. He shows up, bless him, so risky. Like, why would you do that? Um, like, not have a clue. Like, just take your vacation. But he, he showed up at the gathering. And while he's sitting there, um, he feels like God speaks to him very clearly. You're supposed to feed the hungry. Well, when you get that, kind of what's your first thought? Like, if you're going to come up with a plan or a program, I'm actually asking you, what's your first thought? A food pantry. Yeah, right? So he's like, we're going to start a food pantry. He goes back. He gets to ask a bunch of questions. We'll come to find out Huntington, Indiana, has a really cool, awesome food pantry. But they say, we cannot offer hygiene supplies, toiletries, and cleaning supplies. So take a moment. If, if you're working a gazillion jobs, if you have disabilities, what would it mean to not be able to afford cleaning supplies and toiletries and hygiene items. Just appreciate how physical we are. So they start it. They start with like packages that they hand out. Well, then through coaching and all that, they're like, let's offer more dignity. So um, let's offer options and choices, right? That's one of the definitions of poverty is not having choices. So set it up in a shopping experience. So then it's picking and choosing and the fabulous luxury of discretion. Well, then they start getting to know the families coming in and the kids, and they start doing a thing for the kids, and then they start having meals. Well, then they get to know. Then there's like informal parenting coaching going on and rides to the doctor, and Huntington finds out the city, this church is starting to get a reputation because it's so much more than just the first thing. And fast forward to right now. So I don't under, I can't remember like if it's the county, municipality, the state, like who exactly, but they've approached Risen Savior Anglican to start a recovery program of a living a residence in residence recovery program for single moms and women who've been sexually um, abused and exploited. So because of Matthew 25, right? 
all the way so that we gave them a grant for the toiletry supplies. And then now they're just trying to negotiate all this other stuff. Everything happened, all those C's happened in this story. And if you talk to Father Rick Leon, he cries almost every time when he tells the story because it changed the church completely. Thank you, Christ Church. Thank you for who you are in this city. May every city be grateful for the church that's there. They may not, they may be like, I don't know, I don't know what I think about Christianity, but I know what I think about those Christians. They're loving in action. It's really beautiful work. Thank you to you for it. And I'll just rapid fire. So now, do you feel, um, has it integrated into your core that this is you? Everything you said out loud to others, that's you can tell others that that's what you do and you're a part of. So now, would you extra measure pray for me? And pray for Matthew 25 and pray for our leaders. Herb Bailey's one of them. Matt Dampier's one of them. We have so many. And we need your prayers because the fact is it's so generative and growing that we're kind of like that shock, surprise emoji face of, oh, wow, this is fun. But stuff, some stuff has to happen. So we just need to keep growing in the leadership team. We have incredible leaders, incredible quality. This week is provincial council. It's like business meeting for all the ACNA, and there's like bishops and voting delegates and all kind of stuff. So it's mostly like just roll up the sleeves, um, but they um, are having Matthew 25 main stage and two breakouts. So would you pray for us? Would you pray that there would be a stirring of passion and that sense of, oh, yeah, let's do the magic of synergy and partnership and level up together. The coaching and the mentoring, that's probably like we're getting inundated with requests. We need funding for that. We have people, but that's time. So would you just pray for that? Provision. That, the impact of that is pretty instant. Oh, I didn't tell you about the curriculum. You'll probably find out about it, but it's 101 Anglican Justice and Mercy, and it's six sessions, and we partnered with Fuller Seminary, and it's beautiful, beautiful on biblical theology and sociological terms and application, and you get to do a field trip, and um, we piloted with eight churches and They were all over the map, kinds of churches, super fascinating. And we're in the editing process, and it will launch the end of summer. So pray for that. Because that, like the goal, is that every Anglican church would do that and forget forget that they ever did it because it's so absorbed into the system and the fabric of the culture. Okay, I'm done. Thank you, Christchurch. We're so grateful for you, and well done. And there's all kind of other things you can learn about, but I'm going to stop there. Bless you guys.
Thank you, Christine, and thank you for leading us as a whole province to care about the things that God cares about. The reason for the cross is because God cares about justice and mercy. Thank you. Let's pray together. Kind Father, we began this time asking for your peace to fill our hearts. And now just closing out, I'm aware, Lord, that so much of our lives, I'm thinking of Psalm 23, and it's not one that we talked about today, but a familiar psalm of uh, walking through the valley of the shadow of death. So much of our lives is spent in valleys that we don't want to be in or wouldn't choose, and yet we're walking with the shepherd. And perhaps maybe that we're noticing those around us who are also in that valley but don't know the shepherd. And Lord, I pray that we would be the type of church that we are able to invite others under your protective care, where they can find true peace, true mercy, true justice, because you are the one who took the injustices on your back. Lord, to help us to be those followers of you. You are the only one who makes sense of our longing for justice in this world. And it's in your name we pray. Amen.